The following is a production of Galactic Netcasts. We're the answers. Hello and welcome to Elsinore's a production of Galactic Netcast. I'm Gregor Sprague. And I'm Corey Scott. For all info on this show, including show notes and subscription links, go to elsnerds.com. And for other Galactic Netcast programs, go to gncast.com. On Elsnerds, we will talk and say things that may offend young ears or gentle souls. And we'll also tell you things that you might not want to know about stories or movies that we've watched. Yeah, all right. So just be prepared. <laughs> if you can't handle it, uh, go watch Cutie Pie. I don't know. Yes. So um, for th- for everyone who is wondering where's the show at, why is it late, we held off on yesterday because Corey went and saw Suicide Squad, which we'll talk about later. Um, but Corey, how was your week? I went and saw Suicide Squad. Nice. <laughs> I did too. I saw it on Friday and was one of four people in the, in the theater because I went and saw it in the afternoon. Um, and Corey, I'm also going to share this on air, but I bought One Night Ultimate Werewolf through Amazon with the through the affiliate portal, for so Dave got some kickback there. Um, but also bought uh, Love Letter Batman. Uh, just two little games of like, and I bought this because of your your review. I'm like, this sounds so cool. And was just earlier today. I was just messing with the app, and I'm like, all right, yep, I'm in love. I love this app. I love this game. I want more. They're doing an a one night ultimate alien next on Kickstarter, and I'm like, more content, yet more product. But and then I bought Batman Love Letter because I've I saw Will Wheaton play Love Letter on tabletop. And then I saw the Batman edition on another YouTube video, and I'm like, that looks cool. I just got to get it. So, yeah. <laughs> right on. Yeah, Sean from uh, Blazing Caribou Studios, uh, who does Trivia Geeks, among other things, uh, the occasional show, which I keep getting to watch, uh, he also mentioned that he ordered the the game, and so I'm interested to see what you guys think of it. I Like I said, it was really fun with our group, and it's just the right style of game to do something really quick with a few friends. Uh, kind of breaks the ice if they're people that you don't know really well as yeah. on top of that. It was... and it's and the setup for it is real easy. I mean, they give you they give you instructions to explain everything. The app explains everything. But uh, real quick, because I'm going to try to play these on Thursday. Um, but I love the the game setup for Batman Love Letter. Because they even include a, I'm pulling out the rules here, um, and everything's nice big print. The book is this big, but nice big print for you. But they give you, uh, where is it? Here it is. A who starts first. And the, like, uh, what is it? Forbidden Island. Sorry, I had to look in the game drawer. Uh, there's a, the way you determine who goes first is who was last on an island. Um. This one's and this one is whoever most recently served justice to a corrupt world may go first. Alternatively, the youngest player may go first. I love that. I love the whole 
Whoever must reasonably serve justice to a, to a corrupt world may go first. Sort of deal. It just really same. cool. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'm hopefully going to be playing these games Thursday to report back on, um, on the show next week. But yeah, so Corey, I was in your old stomping grounds last week. I went to Detroit, um, and missed my exit because my navigator, aka grandma, did not know. Oh, hey, we have to turn because this is a, another installment of her never-ending quest. Seems like it's never ending, but she's wanting to hit all the lighthouses and get pictures of them around Michigan. Um, That's so pretty just, neat. Yeah, and so we went to Belle Isle, um, which, freaking, if you're playing Pokemon Go and you live in Michigan, and especially in the southern part of Michigan, Belle Isle is perfect for Pokemon Go. There is one place in there with four Pokestops, like, right here. Like, literally, you just walk two steps to get to the other one, Go back and you're at the three. Sort of deal. Um, and it's just wonderful. It's like you got Detroit over here. You could see the uh, downtown Detroit. And then you can go all the way up. You could see up to uh, St. Clair Shores. And I think for a little bit further than that. And then you got Canada. You got Windsor all over here as well. And you're just like on this nice little place where you're just walking around and as long as the heat is not bad you're, you're enjoying yourself um i have a lot of fun memories of Belle isle as a kid my mom uh with the wayne county prosecutor's office used to they played softball and it mm-hmm. was always held in Belle isle and i remember a giant slide that they had that you had to like put your feet into the tarp and and slide down yeah it's still it was, there yeah it was good times it's. I'm actually applauding because I went down it twice. It is um, now for for those the way I describe it for people here. Um, it's like if if you have the the fair that comes to your town or to an area near you, and they have that fun slide that you the little kids will go down. It's just like wee 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 like that. Like it's the little loops or not loops, but little like humps that they jump or slide down. It's like that, but amped up a little bit. Um. So I went down it twice, once with my mom, then once with my grandma. And the second time I got airborne, like after the first loop, I'm like, and I'm 320 pounds and I'm sitting there, I'm getting airborne. And by the time I get down to the bottom, I'm going, I'm starting to go sideways. Yeah. Um, they, they told, they told my mom and grandma, if you want to go slow lanes, one and two are your slower lanes. And then you want to put, you want to hold on to the rails because those will slow you down. Well, mom did that. Mom held on, and she had this nice little leisurely do-do-do-do-do-do thing. Grandma messed up somewhere, and um, after the first the first loop or hump, she falls back, smacks her head on the slide, and she's just smack, 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 smack all the way down. In other words, like, we're gonna miss grandma. <laughs> In other words, um, she's been complaining about her neck hurting, and I'm like, yeah, you have whiplash. You went down the slide wrong um, sort of thing. Um, but she's perfectly fine. Um, she was actually laughing about it yesterday at her, at the chiropractor's, and I'm like, yeah, he's laughing about it too as he's cashing in the check. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's really fun um, seeing the history because the place that has the four... Pokestops is the nautical museum right there. 
and you see that, oh, they had the speedboat races around there, and that they actually had, like, uh, f- almost like Formula One races. They had the, the Belle Isle Grand Prix right there. I'm like, oh, that'd be so cool to see. Just to see, just a lot better than NASCAR, because I, I live not too far from uh, Michigan International Speedway. And she's like, oh, look, they're making a left turn. They're making another left turn. Oh, that's great. But no, yeah, it was really fun. Highly recommend it for anyone in Michigan or the Michigan area, which includes Canada. Um, it's free with a state park if you got the state park pass, which we had. <laughs> but yeah, so getting to some news. The first news is that George R. R. Martin's Wild Cards is heading to TV. Now, this is a book of short stories. Is that what how this is? It's a series of books, and uh, some of them are anthologies. Some of them are longer stories having to do with essentially superhero characters. So the the premise of Wild Cards, uh, it was created by George R. R. Martin and uh, Melinda Snodgrass and several other people who were all creatives and stuff, but they did this role-playing game in a superhero system and George R. R. Martin was the narrator, or the GM, for the game. And along the way, they decided that they should take some of these ideas and make them into actual stories and try to publish books for, about them. And that's eventually what happened. Now, this is back... I don't even know that George was doing Game of Thrones at this point. This may have been before that. But it started out in the 80s. The books have come out sporadically, but at least reasonably consistently... Since '87, uh, and uh, even to today, there's one on the schedule for 2016. So they're still in existence. They've switched publishers yeah. a few times. According to the article, there has been 22 books in the series, and the 23rd will be uh, is scheduled to be released later this month. Yeah, uh-huh. high stakes is the next one that's supposed to come out. But or, the... sorry, no, uh, discards. So the the cool part for this is actually I shouldn't say cool. The interesting part for this is because it's going to um, the rights were bought by Universal Cable Productions, which basically mm-hmm. NBC. Um, George R. R. Martin will not be show running. Will not be doing anything with this with the television side of this because he's got an exclusive contract with HBO. Yeah. Right. But that doesn't mean he doesn't get money from it because obviously it's something that he's been a part of. He might, uh, I would expect, have some part of the options for the series. And it's been optioned before. And he also mm-hmm. says that it's Hollywood and its development and it may not happen like anything in Hollywood. Just because someone options something doesn't mean that it actually will make it to air. Uh, Neil Gaiman has written several things about how many times Sandman and different things have been optioned. Which brings me to an interesting thing about this. Now, first of all, if you're not familiar with Wild Cards, the premise of it is that... And see if this sounds a little familiar. So it's set in alternate history post-World War II in the United States, and there was an alien virus that was released over New York City, and it infected tens of thousands globally. The virus was designed to rewrite DNA and was utilized as a bioweapon by a noble family from another planet. 
it hit people, and 90% of the people who it struck were killed instantly. After that, from the final 10%, uh, 90% of those were turned into jokers. Jokers were people that were mutated in a way that were maybe made um, ugly, defective-looking, uh, maybe crazy, that kind of stuff. The final 10% of that 10% were given superhuman abilities and superpowers. They were considered aces, except for some of them who didn't have as valuable superpowers were considered deuces. So think about a mist going across the planet. Yeah. You started doing this, I'm like... Alternating people's abilities or powers, killing a lot of them... Does it sound familiar to anything also, recent? Yeah, it should also be pointed out that one of the writers in on here is Chris Claremont. Chris Claremont did write for it. Yeah. Roger Zelazny wrote for it. Um well Chris Claremont, he's more he's more recently in my mind because he's been writing for Marvel for a while. And you are well, hinting he was writing for Marvel when this came out. Yeah. But he's he was still like I believe when because th- you're you're hitting at like oh it's like the Inhumans thing at, with Marvel with uh, Black the release Bowl. of the Terragon Mist across yeah. the world by a noble family of aliens and causing a bunch of people to get superpowers and causing the death of most mutants that it runs into or altering their abilities and some yeah it is a little bit similar to that the other thing is that there are shows that have come out. Uh, Heroes owes a lot to wild cards. Uh, it also owes a lot to J. Michael Straczynski's Rising Stars, but between the two, wild cards being a little more substantial, Heroes feels felt like, even when it came out, like it was a big play off of this, although the creator of Heroes kept insisting that he hadn't read it. Here's another thing, though. This is an actually really cool bit of trivia, and I didn't even know this. Uh, in 1987... Neil Gaiman went and pitched a wildcard story to George R. R. Martin about a character who lived in the world of dreams. And George R. R. Martin passed on it because Gaiman didn't have enough prior credits. That character became Sandman. You're you're bullshitting right now. I'm not. That is an actual thing. Oh, that is so cool. I mean, horrible that, you know, that actually got passed up on, but, dude. Horrible or great. I mean, it, it's one of those things that, obviously, history treated game well by getting discovered of Vertigo, making this comic series, keeping essential control of the character to the point where DC, DC could do more stuff with Sandman, but Neil has an agreement with him that that's fine if you do, but then I just won't ever work for you again. And it's not like he's doing a lot of work with DC now, but you always kind of want to leave that door open as opposed to what DC does with Alan Moore, which is like every time they get the chance to fuck him a little harder, they do it because it's Alan Moore, and Alan Moore would pretty much like to fuck DC as much as possible uh, if the opportunity was ever there. As you can see in DC's new upcoming... Watchmen hardcovers, individual hardcovers for each issue is their next step. Yeah, because that's that was necessary. 12 individual hardcovers of a series. For like, what, 
from the mid-80s that everybody already owns who wants to own it and has seen the movie. Yeah. Um, Okay. Moving on. (laughs) Um, keeping, Keeping in the superhero vein here, um, this comes from the AV Club, and this is Hulu announces docu- a new documentary show um, that will fe- uh, will feature stories on the Dana Carvey show, Batman creator Bill Finger, and many more. Um, and the oh, where's the name of the show? Um, oh, it's called Limelight, and it's a series of nonfiction films covering subjects who. Forever Shaped Pop Culture, which includes the Dana, uh, the Dana Carvey Show, the short-lived ABC sketch series that helped launch the careers of Louis C.K., Stephen Colbert, uh, Charlie Kaufman, and Steve Carell, and the Here For Un, um, and the Here For Unknown, assuming you haven't already done any light reading on the subject, story of Batman co-creator Bill Finger, um, and also there will be um, installments. One will feature. Uh, the one and done James Bond, George uh, Lazenby, the rise at oh the the rise in Larry Flint assisted Larry Flint assisted fall of the Big Brother magazine, um artist Shepard Fairey, um but yeah this all sounds really cool, um and this is also on a kick that Hulu's been doing where they've been acquiring um quite a bit of documentaries like they just acquired the uh the uh ron howard directed uh the beatles eight days a week the touring years um which will, will debut on september 17th um day after its theatrical premiere but yeah this is really interesting to think about i mean for because one i don't think a lot of people know the backstory of or the, or that bill finger even really created batman yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, if you're in the comics, no, you know a little bit about it, but it's 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 kind of it's hedged over. There's not a lot of information that's been out because it's it's like everybody assumes that Stan Lee is the guy who created everything at Marvel, and they forget all the other people that were involved in that and what was actually took place. Uh, it's a weird thing for Hulu to be focusing on. I mean, I guess it's just more content. More content of any form is good. It's not like you're ever going to hurt somebody's feelings by adding something to your your stable of, of stuff. It No one's going to feel like, oh, well, damn it, there's too much to choose from. <laughs> but this is the same week that Hulu has essentially announced that they are no longer going to be doing a free tier for their shows, so you have to be a subscriber either at the what, $8.99 level or 11.99 if yeah, you want no commercials which i hope has reached a point where it's actually no seriously there's no commercial this time we're not fucking with you um, i don't know i still haven't reached that point where hulu is a value to me well the, the interesting point for me is that hulu has lost value for me with the whole watch list thing where they're like oh well we're going to add we're going to take away the queue and we're going to put in all these things that, like, we're going to put in all these shows that you watch, and it's like, I watched one episode of that to kill time. It wasn't, oh, I now want to see uh, the Challenge Rivals 
two or what three or whatever the fuck it number they're on now to, uh, show up whenever there's a new episode or um, I watched you know this or that or whatever just trying to find something on there I mainly went to Hulu I, like I used Hulu like a uh, a DVR function like oh if I couldn't watch um, actually a perfect example is Tuesday nights this in the fall this past year it was you had flashover on CW and then you had Agents of Shield and it was like or even like uh, the Muppets or Fresh Off the Boat or uh, the Real O'Neills before that so it's like I had this thing where it's like okay what do I like what do I watch what do I save for later now I know the CW deal is different but you get this and it's just like all right I, like I actually canceled Hulu also because I got fired or I, I quit my job um. But it was one of those, like, I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? I could probably get rid of Hulu and be fine and, you know, not miss anything. Oh, they're getting rid of their free service. Well, it looks like I, I got Xfinity uh, still so I can use theirs because it's just as good and it includes CBS. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that Hulu is a great product to have if you're a cord cutter. Because a lot of the shows that you miss in in the time frame of well this just aired last night or this week I can catch it on Hulu uh, that is something that goes away if you don't have your Comcast or Directv subscription and Hulu fills that niche and for nine to twelve bucks a month that is not a bad price but it, it's not like I have I have Netflix and I have cable because Netflix gives me a lot of stuff that cable doesn't, and I haven't yet seen something that pops out at me from Hulu where I'm like, oh, well, now I should definitely consider adding another subscription because this service has stuff that I'm missing. It it probably has some things that don't exist elsewhere, but nothing's caught my eye or made me open my wallet yet. The, the, The one thing I will be interested with Hulu will be... Um, their once they unveil their live thing, um, because they already announced that uh, Turner uh, will be putting their show, their networks over there. So Cartoon Network, um, TBS, TNT, um, uh, all of the other ones that are involved in there, I can't think of them off the top of my head, will will be available there, which would be the one thing. It's like, okay, hey, you want to cut? And, and I took a survey for them, and it's like if they get some of the things that they have. I'd be like, okay, mom, let's cut the cable. We're going to go to Hulu um, for their live thing because they have all this stuff here that will make it viable. Way better than um, almost like like Sling TV, but um, but with more streams and a little bit of the um, Amazon model where they're talking about where, oh, you just add... You know, add six ninety nine for or fifteen ninety nine for uh, for these uh, premium uh, cable channels, and there you go, because they're already doing that right now with uh, Showtime. You know, it's yeah, which is. Time. But at that point, I mean, what time? What what point is it that these different services become Comcast, become cable? Like, well, yeah, we've got this content that is in our basic tier, just like you would have in your basic cable tier. And then if you want these extra things, then you get these extra tiers. I don't want extra tiers. I want an a la carte 
system where I can choose my tier. I want to create my own tier. So obviously if I get an HBO package, then it's going to include all the HBOs and maybe the Cinemax stuff uh, because they're related. Same with Showtime and the movie channel. But for other channels, like the one of the biggest problems I have with Comcast is I'm paying for channels I don't watch at all. And a lot of them aren't even like if you if you said, okay, well, all the ESPNs are packaged together. Yeah, but I don't want any of the ESPNs. I don't want any of these these specific things, but I still have to get them just to get up to a level to get other channels that I want. And that's that's a big part of it is that it's just so annoying to have to fight my way through these things that I wind up paying a huge bill to Comcast. But I just don't see how Hulu comes in and subverts that because the way the systems are made is that everybody is doing these these backroom deals that well okay so we're we're going to give you the deal like what we give Comcast and what we give DirecTV and Dish but that's just somebody else getting the same deal and the only thing that it has an advantage for is that you can watch it on different devices you're not tied to a cable box but you are still kind of tied to your cable bill for your internet and your internet is trying to make it so that, well, sure, you can just pay for internet, but then we're going to give you a cap on how much you can stream every month. And you'll hit that cap because you're watching more TV streaming than you are through a regular cable box. So you'll have to pay a higher tier for internet just to keep watching stuff that you want to watch. If you're a person who doesn't watch TV a lot, that's fine. If you're a person who just sits there and and can handle like not having something on the background but for someone like me who's always had the TV on and my wife who just likes it on as as noise she doesn't even watch stuff but she has it on in the background usually it's horror movies but it's always playing and you mm-hmm. you come home and you kind of want to just relax and tune out by tuning in uh and just leave something on it Jack and Dan kind of said the same thing that I've said many times on uh, this week's 90s percentile podcast, which is Jack's got one channel he gets essentially through his HD TV or his HD antenna, and it's a game network. And he comes home and he turns on that game network just to have it on, just to have that noise in the background. Now, I mean, I could put on music, I could put on an audiobook or any number of things, podcasts, and listen to those things too, but there's a different feeling of having a TV on. And sometimes the commercials are just kind of comforting. You've discovered things by having commercials as we're putting ad blockers up on our browsers. So I just kind of wonder, does Hulu subvert what these companies are doing, or does Hulu just become the next stop on that? Because Hulu is essentially a part of the same companies. You know, NBC and all these other companies invested in Hulu and built it, why would they build something that was going to be better for the consumer versus, no, we just want to cut out the middleman and and have the consumer come to us directly? Well, that's the thing, and this is what uh, Tom Merritt said on Cord Killers uh, yesterday, is that... um. You know, Comcast is the only one in there that's a cable company or that is a is a ISP, but they have no say in the company. They are a silent partner once they 
or they became a silent partner once they bought NBC, who had the stakes in the company and who found, who were like part of the people who brought Hulu up as this YouTube killer thing way back in the day. Um, but now it's one of those things that I don't, see, I, I honestly don't know. I see this as everyone's now wanting to do this quote unquote a la carte, uh, internet or TV through the internet thing, um, which is smart, you know, Hey, it's great. Um, you know, give, give Comcast, Time Warner, you know, all the, uh, charter, all these ways to fight, uh, to stay relevant, you know, to actually be, have a reason on why they should ha- have a TV platform and not just be, all right, we're, we're cable only, or we're, we're not cable only, but we're internet only, you know, here, give us money, we'll, we'll give you internet, and you can watch your TV or whatever you want on there. Just you do you sort of thing. Yeah, well, I guess if you're going to tune into Hulu, then you'll have the opportunity, if you don't have cable, to watch what's happening in our next story. And that yes. is... Go ahead. There's a crossover between New Girl and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, this... Uh, so you brought this story up in the doc, did you not? I did, and it's just one of those things, like, I only occasionally tune into Brooklyn on 90 these days. Uh, I just kind of hit a moment with it where it was it was fine, but I wasn't really super into it, although everybody on it's super talented. Uh, the show is funny when I do decide to watch it, but it's not like appointment television. But doing a crossover episode, it, it harkens back to the 80s, and they even make some comments about that of when Alf and Gilligan's Island crossed over, or uh, I remember, they were talking about the Blackout Thursday that happened on NBC, but I remember specifically the crossover where Steve Urkel from Family Matters bounced into all the other shows on the TGIF lineup on up in Step by Step and Perfect Strangers yeah. and the whole night. It, it it's not unusual to have shows that have crossovers. Fox just last season did a crossover between Bones and Sleepy Hollow, trying to get Sleepy Hollow's numbers up. And I I, I remember trying to watch that, and I had already gotten out of Bones and could not really follow Sleepy Hollow at all, so it wasn't terribly interested in me. But this I like New Girl still. It it's just consistently funny. It's one of those shows that I keep thinking I should be burnt out on this program by now, and I'm not. And it's it's a it's a tribute so, to the characters is how they write them. Here's here's something I want, I want to share. This is a direct quote from the article. Um, in comedic form, Brooklyn uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine co-creator Dan Gore acknowledges the crossovers, uh, corporate syner- or synergetic motives, musing in a statement. Stay tuned for our two cast to do a soulful R&B number on Empire co-anchor the Fox 10 o'clock news and connect for a touchdown on NFL Sunday. He also earnestly expressed excitement about the upcoming interactions with characters uh, from their time slot neighboring or their time slot neighbors stating we're huge fans of newer girl here at, here at the nine nine. However, uh, new girl creator uh, Elizabeth Merriweather went all in when it came to her concept or conceptual approach stating essentially what you did uh, mentioning the Alf Gilligan's Island crossover of the late 80s. And 
that's what actually what made me laugh was I was reading and I saw that quote and I'm just like, well, that's fucking hilarious right there. <laughs> um, I mean, they're yeah, both they're, they're both kind of out there comedies. Like they're not afraid to go a little extra for the joke, even though they they do take place in a reality. Uh, they're not they're not gonna do a Family Guy like just sort of fade like, into a weird joke that has. Yeah, they're not going to do anything quite so outlandish as that, but they will go further. So if they can work out little in-jokes, like maybe there's just an elf, a stuffed elf doll that one of them winds up having, and then it gets passed along to the other one, just some way to make it in the background. Or like when Community uh, conjured Beetlejuice by saying Beetlejuice in three different episodes over quite a bit of time. It's just, I'd expect them to be able to do things. Yes? Juice. Well, yeah, but I didn't say that third time. Uh, we we all said it three times, er, so it I'm happened. waiting for him to show up. Where's Michael Keaton? Damn it! Where's Beatmaster? <laughs> Beatmaster is in bed, like he shouldn't be like a normal person, but whatever. Uh, he's yeah. Maybe um, he's talking to Juno, his spiritual counselor. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I'm looking forward to this. Uh, it may even get me watching Brooklyn Nine Nine and on a little bit more on the reg. It should be, it should be funny. I expect it'll be funny. Yeah. That episode will occur on October 11th, um, kicking off with Brooklyn Nine Nine at eight and then concluding with New Girl at 8:30. Yeah, and these are two shows that aren't hurting in the ratings at all. So it's not like it's something that they needed to do. So they're doing it because it's fun, and I think that's the best thing that you could do. If you have a situation like this where this kind of crossover thing happens, it's nice that it's not being forced editorially. It's not being forced by the producers. It's like, oh, this sounds neat. Let's try this out. Yeah. It's like it's like Abed showing up on uh, Cougar Town. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, so the next news article is a bit of a sad one. And this is the news that two big names won't be returning for SNL for the 42nd season for the um, nerdiest season out there. Um, Taron Killam and Jay Farrow are both departing um, the show. And I'm not 100% sure if it was like they explained the Taron Killam part um, because he, um, he is currently directing a. Um, he's directing the, uh, this movie. Why we're gonna ki- or why we're killing Gunther with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which he also acts in. And some of the post production would eat into the SNL schedule, but it's not like oh he's gonna be gone for a, for the whole season that way. So it seems weird with that lineup, like. Did, did they? Did Lorne do this? Did they decide to do this? Well, Lorne's actually producing another movie that he's got coming up with Bobby Moynihan and uh, uh, Keenan Thompson. Yeah. So that uh, so Lorne's not killing his relationship with with Taron Killam. I think I watching the last season. It seemed like he was sort of at that point where he was ready to leave. Anyways. Uh, Taron wasn't involved in a lot of things, other than the political stuff when he was playing 
Ted Cruz, which he did a great job as Ted Cruz after he did a very poor job as Donald Trump. Uh, he wasn't in a lot of skits. They have a very large cast at this point. Now, some of that cast, to me, is completely dead weight. Uh, remove Mooney. I will always recommend that you remove Mooney. But at some point, you get the, the old hats who just kind of hang out there, and they show up in a couple sketches one week, and then they're gone for the next three weeks. Like, they don't do anything. You can see them there at the end credits and everything, but they they weren't in anything in the show, so maybe they're writing more. Uh, but you kind of have to you have to break it down so that everybody gets their turn sometimes, or you, you find the people who are the best, and you just put them in everything. Yeah. If Jay Farrow, I think, has been wasted on the show essentially since the beginning, because I know that you and uh, Glenn Rubenstein, uh, who you shouldn't tell about this, really liked him uh, yeah. when he stood up. And and I don't dislike him, but I see him do so little in the show, again, up until he started doing the political stuff. Now, he did play uh, President uh, Obama once uh, Fred Armisen stopped doing it. Mm. And he did a really good job as Ben Carson, this last season, again, during the debate stuff. The political stuff, because there were so many people, like, everybody got their turn, but he did an excellent job as Ben Carson. Like, I would not... It's one of those... Yeah, it's, it's one of those things with both of them. I feel like they... Like, Turn Kill Him, he, he had a stride being caught or throughout the whole thing, and we I think we were starting to see that downward slide with him, with his characters... Um, but Jay Farrow, I feel like it's a little bit of the other like the other side of this. Like he's, we were starting to get where he could be really funny, and that was that actually for me during Weekend Update. I mean, he 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 does do a good Barack Obama, but it was um, where he came in I think three or four times, doing like where he would tell the story from like uh, was it the the uh, Black Person Club or whatever it is. Where it's uh, like the first one they referenced was uh, um, Kevin Hart and Cat Williams squashing their beef. Yeah, squashing their beef, which he also threw in. Um, he did. He did. He uh, Jay Farrow did the imper- impersonation of nine other comedians in three minutes, and also spot on impersonate impressions, not yeah. just. And that's the thing is he he's incredibly talented, and it's frustrating to not see him get used well. At most. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of his stuff came down to playing Kanye, which is always a bore to me. But on top of that, it's just while they started to bring more people of color into the show, they didn't really give them great skits. I think the best skit I saw was the one where they were talking about like the history. Like They were all in high school, so it was him and Keenan and uh, Sashir Zameda, and they were in school, and it was one of the music video things. And like this year, this, and then next year, slavery, and then slavery, and then like I think Bobby Boyhead raises his hand to try to wrap something, and they just look at him. He's like, "Never mind." That yeah. that was really funny, and it was kind of a moment of, "Okay, we get it. We have not done enough for comedians of color on this show." Uh, and they they started to break out. That's when we got Leslie Jones on there. It was nice to see that happen, but I still don't know that the rest of the the rest of the show really focused on them. 
nearly enough or gave them enough room to stretch other than playing what were very safe expected roles. Like, I have seen so many comedians on shows like this go through the same... Like, he's playing Eddie Murphy. Now, Eddie Murphy was on there playing Bill Cosby. But then I've seen people do the same jokes about Cosby on Mad TV. And I've seen those same jokes kind of come back into different people later on doing them here. At a point, we have to realize that that's not all there is. And sometimes I'd rather them go further off of the the stuff that's going to be comfortable for me as a white person to do humor that stretches what we expect from a show like this and maybe isn't as funny to me but will be funny to a demographic that isn't being reached enough. So I kind of want to see him get to go do his own show somewhere else or do roles somewhere else that are going to be more expressive for him. Uh so I I don't think he's just going to disappear. I think he's going to go on to better things, and maybe maybe at best that's what happened, is that they realized that the show was underserving these two yeah. very funny comedians and comedic actors, uh, and that it's time for them to move on and to help grow some of the cast that is still kind of new and developing and getting to show up more of their own voices. I mean, we, we're... We're in a kind of sweet spot with Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones were just in Ghostbusters, and obviously there was a whole lot of blow-up about Ghostbusters. I really can't wait to see that addressed in the next season because yeah. uh, I know that's got to come up. Uh, but there's such a rich cast still there. Uh, A.D. Bryant, Cecily Strong, a lot of the, the women on the show are just impeccably good. And some of the older cast, it seems like it's the right time for them to maybe move along. Not because they're bad or because we've we've gotten to to know them too much that they're, they can't be fun anymore, but just because that's kind of the nice thing about Saturday Night Live. If you let it cycle through new people all the time, yeah, everybody's going to have their moments of like, oh, well, this is shit. It was so much better five years ago or ten years ago or it's never going to get better than it was with Gilda Radner and Bill Murray and all those. And that's probably true. But that's because that was the original. But we've had such great moments. We've introduced people like, you know, Eddie Murphy and then Mike Myers and going down the line to Andy Samberg and all the stuff with Justin Timberlake. We've had so many great phases of this. Like, I still think Tina Fey is one of the most brilliant people in the world. And I fell for it completely because of her being on Saturday Night Live and doing the news with Jimmy Fallon. And now Jimmy Fallon is blowing up things on NBC on a regular basis because he got to develop on Saturday Night Live. So, mm-hmm. yeah, what what happens with these guys next could be huge. Could be this is just the push that they need. Yeah. All right, so that is the news. We, and now we are going to hit um, our nerding out. And my nerding out, I'm going to ask you a question here, Corey. What's small, green, slimy, and wields the power of Thor? Uh, Kermit the Elder God. Close. Throg the Fro- Frog of Thunder. And you can find out more in this book. I, I feel like I just went to Reading Rainbow for a second there. <laughs> Take a look. <laughs> it's in a book. Yeah, but this is a book that I saw today at Walmart, and I'm like, okay, I gotta have it. I talked to my grandma into buying it for me because she loves me. And it, this is the book. Absolutely everything you need to know. I'm going on the slide wrong. 
<laughs> Honestly, I think I think it's part of it because I gave her so much shit for that. <laughs> um, like I, I told it at, with her, she goes to lunch with these group of people, and I had to tell it there, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna tell it, but you can't interrupt. She starts interrupting me. Uh, uh-uh, nah, shush, and all that. But, but so she bought this book for me today, and I was looking through this, and this is actually the perfect book for Dave Nelson. Um. This was written by Adam Bray, Lorraine Sink, uh, John uh, Siziklis, and then Sven Wilson. And this is a uh, this is a coffee table book. This is um, like it, it starts off with Captain America because you know who else to start off with. But then it and it for gives, audio listeners, what was the name of the book? Uh, absolutely everything you need to know about Marvel. And there will be a link on our show notes uh, to the Amazon page. But like, um, oh, look at this page that I randomly opened up to here um, These with Captain Marvel on there. And, you know, it gives you all these different stats about her. Um, you know, it gives you, like down here, all the different versions of that she's gone through, all the different incarnations, and all that alternate universe stuff. Um, yeah, it's got all of it. It's got, um, it's cool because they don't always stick to that format. Like, they go like this one for, uh, Black Widow. They go with the, uh, Playboy Centerfold, I guess would be the other way to put it. Um, but it is a really cool... Tell me that Wolverine is a centerfold because I want to see him snitch. Actually, hold on, that's... And they, they have a, they have a, um... Uh, a glossary in the back of where you can find the people. And that's actually a great thing. Do they mention Wolverine? Okay, they do. 70. All right. Because I'm like, wait a minute. Do they mention Wolverine? I don't remember seeing him on a like a page for himself. But they've now, got... So I was going to say that this reminds me, every once in a while you'll see an encyclopedia of Marvel Comics or an encyclopedia of DC Comics, and they were put out by DK Publishing. So I'm like, oh, well, this is like what DK Publishing used to do. And then I see down the list, this is actually from DK Children uh, and is one of those books. And DK's always done extremely uh, well-done collections of stuff like this that gives you kind of like a the original Marvel Guide to the uh, Marvel Universe, Mm -hmm. which was a big thing in the 80s. DC had one as well. But because it's so visually stimulating, it's like you can sit there and pour through the pages and see a lot of great art as well as get the facts of who some of these characters are. Yeah, like here, this is... um, This one right here is the Red Skulls page. I'm trying to do this while getting it in my face in the microphone as well, which is hard. But yeah, it's it's like the, it's exactly like that. And they have people who work at Marvel, like Lorraine Sink works at Marvel. I think the other ones might as well too, but I know Lorraine Sink because she's on the YouTube whenever they're doing um, the like live from San Diego Comic-Con or New York City Comic-Con. She's usually on the live streams and then she hosts the, uh, or hosted the uh, This Week in Marvel or Marvel Minute or something like that. But this is, it's a really cool um, book. It gives you a lot of information. It's art is super up to date. Like what really made me want to buy it was the back credit page because that right there, that art right there of Captain Marvel is from like 
the, earlier this year with the Ultimates. Um, and I'm like, wait, they've got suit like, like I was expecting, you know, art from like a year or two ago, but not. Oh, they've it like we're just putting this out. It probably got published along the same time that the book that the comic book was getting published as well. Um, and it's just so it's really cool to just flip through and look at. Um, like you know, here's a book uh, part on the different heavy hitters in the Marvel universe. Um, like then they talk about you know Hulk, uh, Thor, Hercules, Captain Marvel, uh, Molly Hayes from the Runaways, Century, and it's just really cool. One thing that it's missing, Spider Gwen, but Spider Gwen's still really new, and uh, a, a great book to check out by J uh, Jason Latour. But yeah, this is super super intriguing to me, and it's only like 20 bucks for this book, and it's a great coffee table book. You know, you just set it up there, set it down there, and you're watching TV or something, and you want something else to do, you flip through this and enjoy it. Or you're watching, like, Daredevil or, you know, like uh, Netflix, like Netflix Luke Cage, and you want to learn, learn a little bit more, here you go. Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, encyclopedias were one of those things that I would go to and I'd pick up and I would just open random pages and start reading through and finding out different stuff. And this is kind of like that, only it's more specific. Yeah. Uh, especially for for people who are new to the Marvel Universe, or like you mentioned, for Dave, who wants to know more about these superhero characters because they get movies and shows and doesn't have a lot of background reading comics like uh, like we do or like Brad does. This gives them the ability to learn a lot of these people by by face and by name, mm -hmm. and what their abilities are, so that when he's watching the movies, he can go, "Oh yeah, I remember who that guy is. That's Stiltman." Okay. Yeah, and and but the cool thing about this is there's only five chapters in the book. There are actually chapters that have been spread up that way. Uh, you got characters, uh, chapter one characters, two is teams, three is locations. So you know Asgard. Um, I think the alternate universes is, are in there as well. Um, chapter four is science and magic, and then uh, chapter five is key events, um, which covers some pretty big um, events. They don't cover the original Secret Wars, but they cover uh, this latest one that they just did. Um, and same thing with Civil War. They don't cover Civil War Two because that's still going on, but they talk about the original Civil War. Um, I don't know, but like Evan asked if the Baxter Building is in the locations. I don't think it is because it's more like locations like the, uh, um, like oh, hold on, let me get to it. Well, I'd be interested to know. I mean, one of the the rumors, which doesn't seem like is being fought to be denied is that Marvel publishing is doing a lot to not emphasize characters from either the Fantastic Four or the X-Men. Now I know you said that Wolverine is in there, but there, and, and Molly so, Hayes, who is a mutant. Yeah. Um, so they do, they emphasize them with, um, the, with the, in the teams they have, they show the X-Men right off the bat, even before the Inhumans. Same thing with... Um, Fantastic yeah, Four. Teams, it goes Avengers, and then you know all 5,000 iterations of the Avengers. 
um, like Great Lakes Adventure, Avengers, um, the Pet Avengers, Dark Avengers, Uncanny West Coast. Then it goes to the uh, the mutants, where it and it gives all, all the information. It's actually where you could see Wolverine. Um, and then the next page is the Fantastic Four. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, so they do show, and they still give. You know, and that is where you, it gets mentioned of the Baxter building, but not. it's not so much locations like buildings. It's more like, oh, we're going to talk about space and then um, like Asgard and a Limbo and, and the the Annihilation Zone and, and stuff like that. Um, and also, where was that fun fact I saw with here? Um, oh, there was one about, about Mr. Fantastic, about how far he could stretch his body. Well, um, I mean, like oh, Time Life used to tell you, uh, read the book. That's yeah. why we have the link in the show notes. Is you can find this uh, through our Amazon affiliate link. You can get it for as low as a used copy for eleven dollars and thirty-five cents. Or if you want to get it new, the hardcover is it's seventeen forty-five as of this recording. Yep. Uh, use your Prime membership, and you can even get it for free. So I'm showing right there. That's the the actual thing. It's uh, fifteen hundred. Uh, maximum feet that he's been stretched out. That's pretty big. Here, I'll even back it up here so you can see. I am just fucking blind. I'm sitting there going, where is that thing at? And I'm like, oh yeah, right there in front of my face. But yeah, so fun fact, uh, 1,500 feet is the maximum length in in feet that Mr. Fantastic can extend a body part. So there you go. Poor Sue. <laughs> Leading into the mall rat's question, how how far can he stretch his his penis? Fifteen hundred feet. Not a lot of tread in there anymore. All right, so my you're nerding out is a little less uh, about stretching your your goods and more about the good old days. I finally got to see the Peanuts movie, uh, the uh, one that was released. I think was it this year or? Last year. Last year. like I think the end of last year. Yeah. Now, the, the threat of a new movie coming out was something as beloved as good old Charlie Brown, and certainly being done in a 3D format, is that, okay, how are they going to try to modernize this? How are they going to screw this up for everybody? Because, you know, it's just a sweet comic. Uh, Charles Schultz wrote a very beloved comic strip for decades and it still runs to this day we have the Charles Schultz Museum here in in my county and I've got friends who work over there uh, Paige and Lex are great artists in their own right but work for the the Schultz Museum restoring his stuff uh, displaying his things sometimes doing new stories there's new stories coming up from boom comics so the concern is, okay, they're going to do a Peanuts movie, is, you know, they're going to be a lot of hip-hop, is there going to be a lot of uh, texting and stuff, are they going to modernize everything? No. I mean, this is a purely Peanuts experience. Now, it's not quite what I remember, like, I used to watch uh, Your Good Man Charlie Brown and uh, the one with uh, Snoopy Come Home, the one where they went to another country, like all this stuff. And every t- year, the the holiday specials, like the Christmas it's special, the yeah, Arbor Day, 
a lot of them <laughs> came later on. But it's like, these are things that I love. There was definitely a cartoon series when I was a kid that was was still like the classic comics and everything. The movie is more of a linear story. And what I remember from the comics, or the comics a little bit, but the uh, cartoon series is that they were more shorts, like what you get in the comic strips. The movie isn't quite that. It is a story about Charlie Brown trying to kind of find his place. Is he ever going to be a successful person? Is he ever going to be a liked person? And the new girl moves into town, which is the little red-haired girl, which has always been his, like, classically his crush. And he's trying to find a way to impress her. And it's just really sweet, well done. G-rated movie. Now, I don't see a lot of G-rated movies anymore either. Uh, it seems like even the the cartoons and stuff that are out now that are meant for kids, like Minions is a PG-rated film. Uh, Zootopia may have... No, it's PG. Like, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense that these things need to go to a PG level because they're made for kids. They are things that are done that... You know, adults can enjoy too, but I just I don't know what exactly it is that kind of separates those two. But this film is just a sweet, cute story with the, the animation is really good and suits the style of the classic Charlie Brown characters. Uh, you get a lot of Snoopy fighting the Red Baron, but it's not overly violent. It's not ever scary. Uh, it's just it's exactly what I wanted to see this movie be. And I, I think it was reasonably successful. I don't know if that necessarily means we'll get more. It's not like this is something that's screaming for a sequel, but it would be nice to get another Charlie Brown or Peanuts story because there are so many characters to choose from. The only insertion of modernness really in this was there's a Megan Trainer story that plays when Charlie Brown is trying to learn how to dance and when he goes to the dance... And it plays a couple of times. And uh, as the only insertion of modern music really into this, because you hear a lot of, obviously, Schroeder playing the piano or playing classic piano pieces, it's not so bad. It, it's it's perfectly harmless in a film that is otherwise just a glowing example of of a classic come to modern day without losing it or the magic or charm that it had originally. So yeah, so I was glad to finally get to see it, and I'd recommend it. Nice. So, we, our big discussion point, like we mentioned at the, at the beginning of the show, is Suicide Squad. Let's go um, completely the opposite direction yeah. from the Peanuts movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, this is the movie that came out this past Friday. Um, this is the third movie in the DC Expanded Universe. Um, stars... Will Smith, Margot Robbie, uh, uh, Cara Delevingne, um, Ike Barinholtz, uh, Viola Davis. Um, I'm trying to think. Jared Leto was the other big name on like top bill. Um, in there, and this is essentially DC's. I almost want to say like Dirty Dozen is, in, in a way, um. But maybe, but let's be honest. What the trailers and everything have been trying to do with this film 
for a good number of months, especially since some of the fallout of Batman v Superman happened, is it's been sold to us essentially as DC's version of Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Which is, let's see what we can do to insert every kind of cool, nostalgic-style song and yep. make the characters seem very, you know, allow them to be cartoonish, allow them to be comedic in a way that was not done in the other two DC Universe films from this current incarnation. You weren't seeing humor inject... You were, you were getting statements of out-and-out, out, oh, there's no humor in these things. And then this was a step back completely from that, although it was a step back involving completely different characters. It's not like we get to see and laugh along with Batman in this or uh, Superman in this. But, and and I will, I will, hit, I will hit on this in, in a second here, it, it is that reversal, this backseas of there's no humor in these movies. Because I think with them realizing Man of Steel, what, what a lot of the fans were saying, a lot of the critics were saying, like they're like, oh, okay, yeah, we get that. And then Batman vs Superman again, like, all right, yeah, we hear ya. Luckily, we got Suicide Squad coming up, and it fixed it. Uh, you're you're that's honestly what I thought about when I when they started playing Spirit in the Sky. I'm like, oh, fuck you guys. Like, come on, can we not play Spirit in the Sky? I mean, it fits perfectly with the in the scene, but so it's like, come on. You didn't like it because it it seemed like it was that blatant that blatant oh we're going to compare ourselves to Guardians of the Galaxy or, or any other movie that's used Spirit in the Sky. It really felt like that moment of of hearing that song. I'm like, how many times have I heard this song in a movie? At that point, because stuff was flying overhead. It was yeah. it was so cliche. It was such an easy thing. I'm like, oh, we've got we've got them in helicopters. Let's play Spirit in the Sky. Uh, okay, yeah. But not only that, it's like the same. They all hit that same part of Spirit right. in the Sky. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So, spoiler-free review to give people a good ending point. Um, I enjoyed the movie. It's very. I think a lot of the origin stories are a lot um, are a lot closer to the um, to the New Fifty Two origins with a lot of the characters, um, as opposed to like their classic origins. Um, but there is, is also, especially with Harley Quinn, um, there's great um, and is my. Did my voice improve at all, Corey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's great uh, Easter eggs in there um, to the Batman the Animated Series and to uh, famous Alex Ross paintings and stuff like that that I saw in the movie. Um, honestly, it, it is worth going see it in the theater. Um, yeah, and yeah. So, so let's talk let's a little talk bit a about... Little bit about- Part of part the of things, the things realize realize that is that this changes this change, a lot of the feel of the other feel from the other films because because uh, it's a different director. It's a different director. While Zack Snyder, Zack Snyder is, is a part of it, he's not. He's not. 
in charge in of it. Charge he, of it. He, he does a he scene does a here, scene. and that's about it. But he's not bringing like the, the I'm heading up everything, and it's a Zack Snyder film. So David Ayer, who did this movie, also wrote and directed Fury, which I've not seen. But he did SWAT. He wrote the screenplay for SWAT, which came out in 2003. That is the Colin Farrell, LL Cool J, Samuel Jackson movie. I love SWAT. I watch SWAT every time I see it on cable. I cannot get enough of it, and it is not a good film. But it is a fun movie to watch, and it is very evocative of what this movie is. He also wrote The Fast and the Furious, uh, the original one. So I can kind of see from the way that the characters are, there's not a lot of depth of story brought here. Uh, and it's maybe not hugely believable, but it's not meant to be. It's an over-the-top grouping of characters that are brought together in a over-the-top way by a very vile character in uh, Amanda Waller, played impeccably by Viola Davis, I'll add. And then they fight the ultimate deus ex machina in their villain, which is ill-defined, magical character. Doesn't make a ton of sense. The, the whole way that it comes about is just kind of like, well, we've got to give them something to fight, so let's do this. It, so they create their own villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, our our main main character from this creates the villain herself by being a fuck up but it, it seems so far against what she is and ultimately i think that is probably the weaker part of the movie is yeah. okay you've got these characters and these actors playing these characters and they're all fairly interesting and have a lot of personality. Now, they're very cliched personalities, and on top of that, uh, if you're a comic reader, they don't really fit too much with their characters from the comics. Like, I wouldn't say that this Harley Quinn is Harley Quinn from the comic books or from the original animated series, although she's closer to that than she is uh, the current incarnation done by Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor, Because... Harley Quinn has grown as a character over time, and this is an earlier version. The Joker, played by Jared Leto. Now, part of another thing that we've had with these these current DC movies is not so much Man of Steel, although I wasn't a huge fan of Zod and certainly not the re- the resolution used to get rid of Zod. Mm-hmm. But a big complaint about Batman v Superman was the version of Lex Luthor that they they did. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg playing a sort of vapid, crazy, ticking, like, nut job of Lex, which was more of a Joker than he was a Lex Luthor. Jared Leto playing Joker in this is something that a lot of people were obviously critical of because of the look. And we were told, oh, yeah, well, we'll explain what it is with the tattoos and stuff when we get to it. Uh, that did not happen, but apparently there was a lot of Joker footage left on the cutting room floor for this movie. And there's a lot of complaints. There's actually someone's trying to sue 
the company for false advertising in England because of all the extra Joker footage that you would see in one of the trailers that didn't make it to the actual film, so they feel like it was a bait-and-switch. Uh, good luck with that, buddy. You fucktard. This is the same guy that's trying to get the... Uh, that was trying to get the uh, Rotten Tomatoes taken down, right? I don't believe it was the same guy. No, it's a Because this is what it sounds like. It, it sounds like... That's, that's the level of internet that we're at right now, that we're just core zone... Everybody's fucking stupid. Uh, nobody understands that the world isn't just there to please you and, and tickle your balls while sucking on you. Uh, it's just, I'm sorry, sometimes things just suck. Uh, things are, are not as good as you want them to be. Things happen that are bad, and you have to learn to fucking deal with it, Buttercup. I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now, and you're not always going to get your way, and just because people disagree with you doesn't mean that you're right and they're wrong. It just... Shit happens. Fucking ball out. Get a grip. Grow up. And uh, otherwise, you're going to have a really hard fucking life and enjoy <laughs> existence in your cave. Because that's all you're going to have. Um, Joker yeah. is not a Joker that I recognize, but a reasonable take on Joker, which is... Good. I again, not loving the tattoos. I don't really like modern hip hop gangster Joker, which is kind of what they went with. But at least it was a different take. Like he couldn't be the Heath Ledger Joker. Why should he be? Why should he try to do that? He couldn't be the Jack Nicholson Joker because that's just fucking Jack Nicholson. Leto put himself into the role and played a character. Uh, and how much of that came from him and how much of that came from the script or from the director, I don't know. But at least they did something original and when he was on screen, he was interesting. Yeah. And that's, that is, to me, what this film is that the other two DC films, for me, personally, has been lacking, is that it was interesting. It wasn't great. It wasn't, like... Surprising. A lot of the things that happened, uh, Ike Barinholtz's character of being the dickheaded security guard who works in the prison that Will Smith, you know, wants to kill, that Margot Robbie is like, oh, shit's going to happen to you. And we don't actually ever get a payoff on that either, which is another unfortunate thing, I think, maybe down to editing. Uh, but he's playing a stereotypical one of these guys, and he goes and he gambles and runs into the Joker, and the Joker uses him to try to get information to get Harley out. That all seems very safe as a script. It's not like this... I'm not going to give this movie a 10 because it doesn't do anything that's unexpected. Also, filming, a lot of the segments were just kind of boring, like how they were filmed, the, the parts where they're fighting on the street. It's just very flat. It felt like a soundstage. It didn't have any mm -hmm. kind of excitement to it. The characters are fighting, but you never feel like they're in danger. We're introduced to Slipknot. He doesn't get an introduction like all the other characters do, but we see his face up on the wall when Viola Davis is telling the same story that she tells a group at dinner. She tells a boardroom full of people after that, like, well, you're going to give me these guys because they're the bad people and I can control them, and uh, we need that. So we get that same speech essentially twice, 
to get the final payoff of finally we're getting these villains. But all these other people get their like introductions and their their cool flash up on the screen, like a little bit of information of them. And Slipknot doesn't, and then he just shows up, and you're like, well, he's going to be the one who has his head blow up. Because it's fucking obvious at that point. It doesn't do a lot to take it to a level where, you know, things happen that are new or not even new, but just, like, elevated. It's pretty low-key and simple. But that doesn't mean it's a shit movie, and I think that's the problem. Now, you had said before we started recording is that you feel that right now DC has to, you know, just actively do the greatest movie ever to get critics to respond to it. Yeah. And I don't I don't think that's true. Because I I mentioned recently we have higher expectations from superhero films now. And part of that is from DC. I think The Dark Knight still stands as one of the best movies. Uh, not only super movies, but just a great fucking movie in general, and certainly one of the best performances we've seen on screen because of what Leather, Ledger did as the Joker, that our expectations are extremely high. Now, our expectations with Marvel are high, and then they, they falter, you know, because Iron Man 1 was great when it came out. It was just like, how the fuck did they do that movie that was so good, but it was unexpected? And the expectations after that kind of leveled a little bit. Iron Man 2 was not as beloved. Iron Man 3, some people thought was shit. I think it's a great film. I watch it Mm -hmm. all the time. Thor has been kind of middle of the road. Uh, Some people didn't enjoy the first Captain America as much. I really loved it. And then when Captain America Winter Soldier came out, it blew people's minds again. Avengers was was huge, and it was, again, one of these things is like, how do we finally have this movie with all these heroes together? How lucky are we? But then Avengers 2, a lot of audiences were split. Uh, Civil War, I think, brought a lot of people back in, but I don't think was as good as the original Avengers and was probably my least favorite of the Captain America movie so far, but still a great movie. The things that have blown our minds have been the things that we had no expectations or no understanding of like what we were really going to get until they happened. I think a lot of people enjoyed Ant-Man more than I did, because it was a different film and the expectations of Ant-Man were low. I think a lot of people loved Guardians of the Galaxy because it was not like the other superhero movies. But again, nobody knew going in what they were going to get from this. They just knew that there was a fucking talking raccoon and a a tree walking around. And they were kind of like, that's crazy. But it was a good film. I I think that's partially what DC has been missing is you look at these characters in all the movies and I'm going to include the Dark Knight uh, the, the Christopher Nolan uh, movies because you those got the heart of the characters you know it, it got it got a, a well a, a really good Batman it got a really good Joker um, Bane I thought was good Bane was and, good I think the story in Rises was yeah. was not good. I think the way they utilized Batman Arises was terrible, yeah. uh, and I think they wasted Catwoman. No, yeah, definitely. Um, but you look at the Marvel movies, and every Marvel movie has been a um, 
they've used the character in a way that you would expect the character to be to behave. You know, going with Ant-Man, you have Scott Lang, a criminal, a person who who in the comics is billed as a criminal. He is a, a criminal smart. who's trying to do right by his daughter. Yeah, which is the same thing we have with Deadshot here, except Deadshot is more dead set on remaining a criminal, whereas Scott was willing to do good things before, like, someone came to him with the deal. Yeah. And so when you get Man of Steel, it's like they missed the character a little bit. Yeah. They wanted to do a little bit more Batman or a darker character with a character that is not dark. He can be he can get to dark places, but it would not make a whole movie. Right. It, it's... That's you have to have a level of Superman being Superman, and then you have to give him the the reasoning to go to a dark place. Mm-hmm. You can't just have him be dark the whole time, and you you can't create a Superman movie where he's not seen as someone who does right, no matter what, uh, because you're fundamentally destroying what is the core concept of the character. Mm-hmm. You can say what you want about the Thor movies, but Thor feels like Thor, and Loki feels like Loki. Mm-hmm. So when you have these movies where the characters don't act like themselves, or when they do stupid decision-making, like what happened in Batman v Superman, where they just fight each other because they're angry and they can't see past... like the the manipulations of a terrible plan by a whack job to and then it's all solved and resolved because their moms have the same name that's that's just bad storytelling mm-hmm. that is bad direction and storytelling uh using characters that should be very easy to nail because everybody knows who batman is and everybody knows who superman is you get a little bit more room when you're talking about harley quinn or Deadshot, or El Diablo to make alterations, to, to fit them to your story. And they did. And I don't understand... Like, I get people seeing this and saying it's not a great movie, but I didn't see anything in this that was awful. You yeah, know, was... I, I can see that the Joker characterization isn't for everybody, uh, and some people will look at it and just say, well, this is shitty because look how dummy looks and everything. I don't think it was that bad, but certainly if you're holding him to the the level of what Ledger did before, then yeah, it's not going to be as good as that because how can it be? Yeah. So I look at I look at Joker in this way, in this respect with Jared Leto's Joker. Um the the tattoos make sense to me with this story, with the style that they had with this story. That was very much hip hop Joker. Yeah, I just um, hated that style. Yeah, um, but that's but a visual. Made, yeah, but but that's that's a visual thing. I mean, it 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 sort of made sense in this weird little way of him always doing the, like putting his hand up over his mouth with the, like the big smile, on his hand. It sort of made sense it, even when he, when and this we're we're going to get into spoiler territory. We've been in spoiler territory for a little bit, but we're going to get deeper. With the um, Acme uh, or the Ace Chemical um, scene with Harley Quinn, when he goes like this over her face, 
and you see it's almost like an initiation. It's like, okay, it makes sense and all that. Um, the one thing I didn't like about this, and this is closer to a core for the character, is I felt like the the Joker truly cared for Harley Quinn. And that's something that I never really got out of the comics or out of the animated series. Um, it was like, yeah, he cared, but not like, all right, I'm going to go through a, um, you know, break into Bell Reeve Penitentiary to get you out sort of deal. Now, now uh, I agree that that is not how it normally is in the comics. The one thing I can say is that because we don't get a lot of time with the Joker in this, uh, his motivations may not be as clear as what we, we're seeing them as one thing. It may just be that he's going after Harley because she's his. Yeah. You know, how he treats her one-on-one, -on -one, like, you can, when we get the fantasy scenes and we're going in their heads and they're all living out what their dream worlds are, her dream world is to be normal. Her dream world is for him to be normal. She's in love with him uh, in a damaged way, but there's mm -hmm. still a part of her inside that wants it to not be damaged. It She wants it to be the, the white pit, picket fence and the two kids. She just wants the love. Now, we don't know what his motivation is, but he turns her into what is a female version of him. But it's controlling. You know, it is mm -hmm. still, like, he gives her the choice, which I, I appreciate it just because I don't really want to see that scene in a movie, although it's true to the comics, of him pushing her into that, letting her make the decision herself, letting her go crazy for him, I think may be better. Yeah. Uh, a better take to do than just being a woman who's solely in under the control of a male character. Mm -hmm. She gets to make her own decisions in this a lot, and I like that. And even though she's trying to do these things to get back to him and essentially going back to be his possession again, it's at least her choosing it. And while it's not the most feminist, empowering character in the world... It's better than what it could have been, mm -hmm. and it's unfortunately it's the public perception of the masses is that is the relationship of Harley and the Joker is that they a lot of people do think it's a love story. It's not. I mean, in the comics, it is definitely not. It is a no, one-sided yeah. thing uh, at best, and they've they've healed that by giving Harley the ability to walk away, and she's kicked the shit out of him and told him that she's never going to be under his thumb again. Uh, but it took a long time getting there. So, yes, this kind of skirts around what could be more damaging things to do to a to what is the female lead of a of a movie. Uh, the only other strong female character in this would be Amanda Waller. Katana to a certain degree, but Katana is barely used as well. Yeah, Katana is. Seems like is more of a background character. Um, kept like a mystery is kept there almost for like a sequel is what it seems like. Um, which I would enjoy. I would enjoy a Suicide Squad se sequel. The one thing I will say to compare this to other works 
is this is very much like the DC animated uh, movie Batman Assault on Arkham. I mean, it's got the very similar premise, even with, um, I think it was Captain Boomerang, or maybe they replaced him with Riddler. I can't remember, but one of them coercing another one to, uh, hey, take off, or why don't you go run off there? You know, we'll make a break for it. It's all just a bunch of bull crap, and then, boom, head blows up. Um, but I, 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 lo- I, I love this movie. I'm going to say it. Um, I think uh, Captain Boomerang stole a lot of the scenes Scenes in there. Jai Gortney did great as Captain Boomerang. Who was not at all like either Digger or Boomer versions of the character as I've yeah. ever seen it. Uh, but they but needed it to get makes their... Sense. It they needed to get the crazy dude, uh, even though we had crazy Harley and Joker. It, it, it was It was a good characterization to have in this group. It just wasn't a characterization that I would normally associate with Captain Boomerang. Yeah. And if they ever did a movie of The Flash and they tried to introduce the rogues, is this one of the guys that, I mean, as I see the rogues to be, or is he too over the top to fit into that kind of group? I I think he would fit in. I honestly think he would fit in. Just because of the fact that I mean, you look like especially if you look at like like look at the Flash TV sh- series. We had Captain Boomerang on there, and he was a little bit more serious. Right. You know, it was like it wasn't until I think bringing in uh, was Trickster on Flash or was he on Arrow? Trickster was on Flash. Trickster was on Flash. Like, in fact, Trickster, they had two Tricksters on Flash. Yeah. Um, Trickster was. You know, like the one of the first characters that we saw out of a villain that was more, um, that was that was more like jovial and, and you know crazy like that. Almost like he was played by the best Joker actor of all time. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. You, um, but you go to to go to this, I think it still is a great counter. Um, with that that small little scene in his introduction, uh, where you see him getting caught by the Flash, you know, it's. I think that I I could see that uh, them playing really well off of each other. And this you know, was as, this was a good moment as well because we do have an involvement of the Flash and we do have an involvement of Batman uh, more than once and. While they were not big scenes, uh, they were kind of sort of tacked on to a certain degree, it does do what it's needed to do, which is it builds a cohesion to this new universe that they're doing. Those are the kind of moments that we, when Hawkeye first shows up in the first Thor movie, you know, it's only if you're paying attention that you realize that that's who that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're a comic person, but you don't get much more of him until Avengers. And even there, it's Unfortunately, he gets underutilized for that film. Uh, to have these moments come in here is important. And I think it was good that it wasn't just Batman, that we did get a Flash moment because we're still kind of learning about that character on the film. Now, I think his costume is terrible. He looks like a marionette. But I didn't have a problem with them utilizing him in this. It was just unfortunate that we didn't get a real Flash boomerang fight 
yeah. uh, we don't get to see them spar off against each other. And that's, I honestly think they're saving that for either a Flash movie. But well, they're saving it for Justice League at the very least. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I mean, to see these characters kind of get really exposed on screen. Full frontal. Hopefully. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned a rating. You said it wouldn't be a ten. What would you rate Justice League or not Justice League? Uh, Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. I will. It's not something that I think I would buy, but it's something that I would happily watch again when it shows up on cable or Netflix, uh, as opposed to the other two movies that I actively avoid watching. Uh, so I'll. I want to say six but I may even go as high as a seven because everybody that was in this served the film. Uh, every actor that was up on screen, no matter who it was, I think played their parts really well. Uh, I think the the acting, the comedy that was there could have been funnier, could have been more serious, could have been more violent. Uh, it's strange that <laughs> at this point in time, Warner is putting out an R-rated version of a movie starring Batman and Superman, and they put out a PG-13 version of Suicide Squad. Yeah. But overall, I I think it was... Uh, like I said, I love SWAT. I can't say that I've got a lot going for me that, like, oh, I'm, I'm too above this. I'm not above this. This is perfectly in my wheelhouse of I'd leave this on in the background and let it play every night it's on cable just because it's probably better than 90 shit, 90% of the shit that's out there that I would have to watch otherwise. Uh, so, yeah, I'll give it a 7. I, I'm actually going to go higher. I would go an 8.5. No, honestly. you really enjoyed it, and, and yeah. that's great. I mean, because this is... I mean, I'm, I was laughing through a lot of the, a lot of the movie for the, the comedic moments. I got excited seeing the basically the recreation of the um the Alex Ross painting of Batman or of uh, Harley Quinn and Joker that was you know, a pretty good moment yeah that was a great moment um and then seeing the costume again um as she's pulling out the trunk or she's going through the trunk with all of her clothes um i i really enjoyed the characters yeah the enchantress was a little we- was a little bit on the weaker side Although, I have to say, for the effects that they did for the magic, including the Enchantress, when she first says Enchantress and you see her hand on the table and then the other hand comes out from underneath and embraces it, yeah, that was a wickedly cool scene. Mm-hmm. Also, the scene where she creates what is essentially her brother and he's out on, his body is out on the, uh, at the train station and the the cop and the uh, doctor that just happened to be there go to help him, and his body kind of starts to absorb them, and they all mound together like in a big blobish thing, and then they go rolling down the tracks, but it's just very much like uh, Carpenter's thing. Mm-hmm. Looked really cool. Now, the yeah. faceless entities that everybody else transforms into that goes to fight them, it was just... It's like fighting Ultron robots or fighting what was the the villains in the first Avengers movie. It's just like we need them to be able to kill a bunch of stuff, but we can't go too over the top because it's a PG-13 movie. 
so that's all they were, and that was that was far less interesting. And I think that's again part of the problem with the movie is that it doesn't give us something visually stimulating for them to fight until the very ending, and that just kind of like is still a lot of bashing. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than anything else. The other cool thing that I, I liked was like sitting through the credits, um, which me and the guy ahead of me did. The other two they left. I don't know if they left after, like as the first part of credits came up and didn't see the mid scene thing, which wouldn't surprise me because it's like, it's like it, part of me with when I go to see superhero movies, I want to sit in the back and be like, there's a post credit scene. Like I, I did that with my friends that when we went and saw Captain America: Civil War. And it pissed some of them off, like, oh, there's another one. I'm like, yes, we're going to sit down and watch this, otherwise, or you're leaving me here. I'm fine either way. <laughs> um, and, but the, the cool part with the credits was seeing that, one, Greg Nicotero was involved in this. He was the supervisor on, um, on Killer Croc's look and all that. I'm like, wait, what? So he took a break from doing zombie stuff to... Make Killer Croc? Well, that explains why Killer Croc looked really cool and looked he- like, like I would I would see him walking around the street. Not, oh, it's yeah. all CGI. Another another underutilized character for the amount of, of fun that he actually was. Like, yeah. I I did not, I I wish he didn't talk at all, uh, for the, all the times that he would talk in sort of a hip hop kind of slang which didn't line up with his voice at all but then looking at the actor that plays him I'm like oh yeah that guy doesn't he's got a pretty thick accent normally too yeah. but just there was the moment where he's like he's got his hoodie on and uh, Harley Quinn basically says he's ugly in real life and he goes you're wrong I'm pretty uh, you're wrong that I'm was, beautiful I'm beautiful yeah it was it was pretty funny and I think that he was a character that probably could have gotten more attention and maybe mm-hmm. would have helped bring the movie up a level. Yeah. Um, but then the other part was they... I think I think DC and Marvel are starting to do this across the board, but they gave... I think they gave uh, credit to every creator of these characters. I, I saw John Ostrander not only in the credits, but also there was a building that was named after him in the yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that, um, but then, because I, I didn't see um, Bruce Tim, but I saw Paul Dini, because his was at the end, but it was like this block of, and the, the other credits where it's just like, I'm like, oh, hey, that must have been the comic, like all the comic book creators. Oh, that's awesome. And, it's good. And stuff. It's good that the companies are starting to do that. It It's important, I think, not only for the fact of honoring the people, the creators of the past who've built all this stuff up, but if you want to have creators of the future, you know, you've got to show that you take care of the people that work for you. Yeah. And unfortunately, the last few years, that's kind of not completely dried up, but it's it's gone downhill since some of the old school guys have retired or passed away. Yeah. Um, the emphasis of creators has not been as strong, and that really needs to be a bigger part of these things. It can't all just be like, oh, well... This has Jeff Johns' names on it because Jeff Johns is a DC guy. It's like there's a lot of people that Jeff Johns is drawing from to make this stuff happen, uh, and you need to respect all of those people who came along. You need to respect the guy who invented Howard the Duck, and you need to respect the guy 
who invented Harley Quinn, and you need to respect the guy who invented Batman and Thor, like the real people who made these characters mm -hmm. in the first place. And maybe you're not the only ones who made them great, but give credit to those people too. If you're drawing from a story that Ed Brubaker wrote, then put his name in the credits. If you're drawing from something that Garth Ennis wrote for Punisher, put his name in the credits. They deserve that. It's it's there's a lot of voices that came along that that this stuff wouldn't exist, wouldn't continue to exist without their their part of it. So just how hard is it to give them that respect? Um they did the uh, the album cover of Dazzler in the X-Men promo, and apparently they sold or they gave away copies of the album as a, a spiff to people Fox uh, did for the X-Men movie at Comic-Con recently. Mm -hmm. And the cover was drawn and created by Bill Sienkiewicz, who who drew Dazzler at the time, and his name didn't get brought up for it and nobody mentioned it to him ahead of time it was someone came to him with a copy of the album is like did you see this and he was understandably upset you know not because he's expecting some big paycheck or anything but just because it's his drawing you know he made that art and you're utilizing that and you don't even think to put his name on the cover or in the credits or talk to him and say thanks or we're going to use this? Isn't it great we're utilizing your artwork in this way? Because he'd probably be okay with it. But yeah. after the fact, it's... I just don't understand how these, these things can happen. It's like, well, we own all this stuff. Yeah, you do. But if you want to keep having more stuff to own... You know, when you've got people going to Image and making more money on books that probably aren't selling as strong, but because they get ownership of it, they're doing much better there it's going to be really hard to fill your halls other than like hiring a McDonald's employee is okay. Yeah. I'll come and I'll work here for a couple of years until I get the skills. I need to go get a better job somewhere else. And then you're just going to have McDonald's level comics if that's the case. And I kind of see that happening now anyways, but at some point the, the audience is going to go away because of that, because they're going to go where the creators are treated better, because the creators are going to make better art over there. And I want good art. Exactly. Um, and so, to help make good art, um, oh, fuck me. The, uh, uh, no, sorry, no. I was looking at the thing, and by with doing my fix to where you didn't hear yourself... It now made it to where I have to use the YouTube version and not this because it is currently not recording on, oh. on great. Audacity, which is so great. Um, but anyways, uh, we have bills that we have to pay. Uh, Dave runs the whole thing. Um, he's working his butt off over with uh, with his his day job over uh, over on the radio in Ontario, but. Uh, if you want to help out with that, you can you can do one of two things. One, you can go to our Patreon and support there. You can do as much or, as much or as little as you want. Uh, the only thing we ask for as a minimum is a dollar a month. These are all it's billed monthly, so you know for less than for less than CISO, um, you can be supporting Galactic Netcasts. The other one, since you do it already, and I've done it now with two purchases. 
with the purchase of One Night Ultimate Werewolf and Batman Love Letter, which is in One Night Ultimate Werewolf right now. Not like you buy the both, but and Batman Love Letter. Bought this is all came up to like thirty five dollars altogether. My price did not change, but th- I think three percent of that went to Dave to help keep Galactic Netcast afloat. Um, yeah, when we say it went to Dave, it's just because Dave's in charge of the network and Dave is the one who has to decide how the funds and stuff are distributed for the network, uh, which is not even to the people on the network. It's for the things that we do, like having the website, having hosting for the audio, uh, mm-hmm. trying to grow the network more by maybe getting some advertising out there, doing things to help get more people to discover us. So, again, it's not it's not like this is cash that's going into a person's pocket. It's going into Galactic Netcast and the shows that we do, that we love to do, uh, but just to kind of make us have the ability to do them better. Yeah. Um, and you can find those over at gncasts.com slash support. And uh, if you want to leave us feedback, I love feedback. I want feedback. Bring it. Bring all the feedback you want. We, we have multiple ways. You can leave us a voicemail at 805-328-3966 and say, hey, this is for the Elsnerds. Um, or you can email us mail at elsnerds.com. Uh, like I said earlier, we found out from listening to the show that our friend Sean Burns purchased the game that Gregory was just showing off. And that itself is feedback. If you just want to let us know, hey, I took one of your recommendations and I went and I bought it and I used the affiliate link. Uh, and I wanted to say, yeah, I thought the game was really cool or I really enjoyed this book that you guys told me about or I enjoyed this movie that you mentioned. Uh, that That's great. We would love to hear anything like that. Or if mm-hmm. you have recommendations for us to nerd out on, we would appreciate those as well. Yeah, exactly. You want, Hey, you want to hear my opinions on on you know this thing or that thing the only way you do it is if you that I can do it is if you tell me what it is and you can all you can get all of our subscribe option or options that can be found at gncasts.com/subscribe uh, you can find all of our social media stuff as the whole for the company or for the network um, by look, searching galactic netcasts and you can find our show on twitter at elsnerds the, like I mentioned, the uh, network is at Galactic Netcast. Our producer is Beatmaster, who is currently sleeping right now. He's on Twitter at Beatmaster80. Evan is at Mr. Underscore Fusion. I'm at that Gregor. Corey is at Don't Ask Comics, where you can find all his stuff that he does outside of here and outside of Podcasts of Terror is over at Don't Ask Comics. And the final thing to be said is this is many Don't Tell Glenn production. We will see you guys next time. Or else... You have been listening to a production of Galactic Netcasts. For more about this show and others, go to gncasts.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.